Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Welcome back. Yes, welcome back to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. What a day this morning has been. Let me tell y'all, sometimes you don't think about all the things you have to go through, but this morning I had to self-tan. I know you're like, black girl, self-tan doesn't equate. Listen, for my job, I had to. So if you see me streaking or getting browner, and more richer, just know that's what it is. Or if I raise my hand and you see something, see that little tan, that little glow? Yeah, I'm doing it because I have to do something at work today later. And um, I need to have a very even skin tone and a tan skin tone. And because we're still in the beginning of May, I haven't really gotten that yet. So anyway, you guys are like, well, we're listening to you. Some of you are viewing me. I just wanted to share. So you don't think something is happening. If you see me getting a little richer in color, I'm okay. Nothing is happening. However, today I have with me a very special guest. All of my guests are special, but this one is really special because she's hilarious and she was a first and she's super smart. And I'm going to probably say the name of her career wrong, but it's okay because she will definitely correct me. Anyway, this young lady is has been doing triathlon since she was 18 years old. Yes, 18 years old. She started by volunteering. She volunteered at what was the inaugural Ironman California, which is now Ironman 70.3 Oceanside. And it was renamed that after 9-11. She is a mother. She is the first Asian American professional triathlete. And if you think she's a baddie in the athletic world, she is a baddie in her career as well. She is a prosthetist, orthotist. She is Jocelyn Wong Neal. Jocelyn, welcome to Try Beginner's Luck. Woohoo! Thank you for having me, Mishanda. Okay, did I say your career correctly? You did. Your profession, not career. You Ooh, did great. <laughs> I was almost scared I was going to say prostitute. It'd be all wrong. <laughs> prostitist? Orthotist? That's yes. fancy. Okay, for everyone who's like me, like, what is that? Tell us what you do. So I usually just tell people I make prosthetic legs because unless you're like, involved in our field or like a physical therapist or you know someone that's an amputee like you don't know what a prostatist is (laughs) the prostatist just sounds so wonderful (laughs) (laughs) but yeah um you've probably seen like now it's a lot more um you see a lot more in like super bowl commercials but since the conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan, you see amputees like in media all the time, but you never wonder like, where do they get their prosthetic leg from? So that's what they come to see uh, people like me for, to get a custom prosthetic leg. Prosthetist, 
orthotus. I just love saying that. So I would probably be saying prosthetist all day today. Anyway, I need to focus. We're here to talk about your try journey, which I mean, come on. It's a cool, I know I'm still laughing about prosthetist orthotist and I will let it go, but we're here <laughs> to talk about who you are being the first Asian American professional triathlete back in 2009. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. So, yep. so let's catch everybody up. How did you get started in triathlon? So I know you had mentioned in the intro, I started when I was 18, but you didn't mention how old I am now, which is 40. <laughs> Well, Jocelyn, you know, the details of being 40 doesn't really, no, I'm just kidding, it matters. So you've been in the game a long time. I've been in triathlete for a long time. Um, so I ran all through middle school and high school because I have an older sister who's 20 months older than me. So I wanted to do everything she did. Um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area where being Asian is not really a minority. So I saw people that looked like me running, doing sports all the time. That was not unusual. When I got to college, um, I wanted to continue running. I wasn't ever quite fast enough. So it's not like I got recruited to big division one track teams or anything, but I ran for my division three college. And like a lot of triathletes that get started, I got injured from running. So I ended up having to do what my running coach called alternate training, which was riding the stationary bike in the gym while my teammates were out doing track practice. And I had a friend who was on the cycling team who was like, hey, if you're going to be riding a bike, at least like ride a real bike. So he took me to a bike shop and I spent all my scholarship money <laughs> that was supposed to be spent on books on this beautiful apple green road bike. And it was $1,400, which, you know, this was back in 1999, maybe early 2000. That was a lot of money. And I was, you know, I think I was 18 years old. That was everything in my checking account. First time away from home didn't have credit cards back then. I still don't think I got a credit card until my second or third year as a pro. <laughs> so this is like all my money I just spent on this beautiful road bike. I ended up joining the cycling team in college um, instead of sitting on the bench at the track meets. So I raced bikes, got kicked off the track team. And then uh, I ended up volunteering at the inaugural Ironman California that was uh, near San Diego. So I went to college in Southern California. I actually rode my bike with a couple of friends. I think it was my first entry ride because it was about a hundred miles south of where I went to college in Claremont, California. And then uh, we didn't know anything about Ironmans. This was one of my track teammates. We rode our bikes down there. We went to the volunteer tent that morning and they said, hey, we need wetsuit strippers, which also sounds really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I think now they technically call them wetsuit peelers because <laughs> strippers is, you know, <laughs> a little questionable. 
it goes with our in line with our prostatist. You got exactly. a West Coast stripper, and we have a prostatist <laughs> orthotist. Look, this is a very kid friendly segment. I promise. <laughs> I promise y'all, this is very kid friendly. We're just making fun of some certain names, but go ahead. So, this was my first time seeing a triathlon period. So this is Southern California where triathlon is a, a pretty big deal out there. Um, since I believe San Diego is the birthplace of Ironman or triathlon, something like that. But yeah, it was my first time seeing a triathlon in person. And it was really exciting because all the pros came through. We helped pull off wetsuits off everyone from the really fast elites to the average age groupers. And then, you know, what really blew my mind is I saw people of all different shapes, sizes, and ages racing. And there was a 70 something year old guy named Bill Bell, who actually has passed recently, rest his soul. But I remember being 18 years old, watching all these old people doing this crazy thing called Iron Man. And I was like, this is amazing. But also, how hard can it be if there's these old people doing an Ironman? So I think by the end of that trip, my, my friends kind of looked me in the eye and were like, I bet if you start training today, you could do this next year. So I ended up doing my first sprint triathlon that summer. Um, and then two years later, I did my first Ironman, which was just, you know, I was that weird college kid that was doing Ironman training. But that's how it all started. Mind is blown. Secondly, now that you're 40, do you think, you know, when you're 18, everyone is old, right? And yes. then when you get 40, you're like, but I'm still young. So those people who you were calling old are saying they yeah. were young. Stop it. <laughs> but it's funny. We think about that. And you went down and you volunteered. And how many people have gotten there that taste of wanting to do a triathlon and an Ironman just from volunteering and witnessing that energy and and wanting to be a part of that environment because it's such a lively atmosphere. And you had the opportunity to do it just because you were curious. You're riding your bike and how, you spent $1,400 on your first bike. That was the mature thing to do as an 18 year old because why not? You live YOLO. It's like, what? I'm gonna spend it on this bike. I'm gonna have fun and think about all the repercussions later. So did you at least get your books um, yes, I did. But I do. Re I also remember not telling my parents how much that bike actually cost. Because I think I told them it was 600. And they still thought that was expensive. And meanwhile, my brother and sister, were like, that's too much money to spend on a bike, you got to return it. <laughs> and oh, you know, wow. you think about how much bikes cost now. This was like a nicer like by road bike with an aerodynamic frame, it was a specialized Alley M4 Pro, which I don't know if there's any bike geeks listening, but this was before Specialized started making tri bikes. So this frame was the one, like one of the top pros had raced it, coded 
Kona the year before because they didn't make tri bikes back then by Specialize. Wow. I promise you that's awesome. And if you are in college and you're listening to this, get your books first and then get your <laughs> But that bike lasted me a long time too though I think I ended up doing like my first four or five Ironmans on it like you do not need a tri bike to get into triathlons you do not need a tri bike to do your first Ironman those are all facts but we do want you to get your education and that's important and you need your books to get your education but I love it because that's what I would have done I mean when you're 18 and you have all this money you you do things that aren't always wise right and that's just to show you that hey you were human you were 18 year old teenager in college and you lived your best life what I want to talk about and I hear a lot of people getting into the sport because of an injury Mm -hmm. and then people's like well I have a knee injury I can't do this can you talk about and now that you are a prosthetist orthotist Mm -hmm. Say why it's so important that people can use this to rehab. Um, I believe Sam Long in high school got injured and now he's an amazing pro athlete as a result of injury. So can you speak to if someone has had an injury, how they can use triathlon to rehab and still engage in a healthy lifestyle? Absolutely. What I love about triathlon is that there's three different activities you can do and two of them, the, the swimming and the biking are low impact on your joints. So if you have a running injury, you could bike or swim if it doesn't aggravate your injury. If you have a shoulder injury from swimming, you can probably run or bike because you can stay active, stay in shape. And that's so, so important for your mental health as well is if you are injured, it's very hard to just go from being super active to just sitting still being sedentary and waiting it out. Because sometimes, you know, it's, it's the sitting on the couch that is really detrimental. So I, I really love that with triathlons, even now, even what, 20 plus years later now, if I try to just run all the time or run every day, I get injured. And so I've learned again and again, how important it is to mix up that biking and the swimming just to keep myself healthy and in the sport as long as I have been. And outside of just biking, swimming and running, is there anything else that you incorporate to help give you a mix of what you participate in? You mean like activity wise? Or? Yeah, like activity wise, like say for instance, do you box or do you actively do yoga or Pilates? Like what are some alternatives that you do in addition to swim, bike and running? I walk my dog a lot. <laughs> so I, I actually, I have tried, I've tried so hard to get into yoga And I think the only time I did it somewhat regularly was when I was pregnant because it was, it was good to like learn all the breath work and you're like so big that you can't necessarily get on the bike once you're bigger. But I, 
I think triathlon takes up so much time. I've dabbled in some other stuff, but I always go back to triathlon, which is, is a big, big consumer of time. I love. Um, it's interesting how you said that it's harder uh, to get on the bike once you have, um, you have another human inside of you. And yet mm-hmm. you still did a triathlon when you were what, seven months pregnant? Um, I was 23 weeks. So I was not quite seven months. I, okay. I did do one seven months postpartum. Okay. Seven months postpartum. Okay. I did one seven months postpartum, but 23 weeks. What, what is that? Four and a half months, maybe five okay. months. Yeah. I don't always know how to convert the months when people are saying, Hey, well, my child is 47 months. And I'm like, what, what is that? Is it three years old? What is it? Just tell me. Like, moms. I love moms. I'm not a mom yet. But... <laughs> I'm just like, seriously, what is 57 months? I don't know. I'm not counting months. Give me years, please. But I love it. So 23 months, 23. And then it's like weeks. So it's like, yeah, I'm 47 weeks. What is that? Just tell me. No, no, anyway. you can't be 47 weeks. I know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm being a jerk right now. Doctors don't let you go just, that long anymore. They might have been like back in the day. I'm just saying for those of us who aren't moms yet, when we have to hear and try to do math in our head about how many yeah. months pregnant you guys, it's like you use you use weeks until it becomes months. And it's like up to 40 weeks. So up to 40 weeks, you can be pregnant, correct? <laughs> yeah. okay. Sometimes they let you go to 42, but that's like pretty generous. Right. So just tell us eight and a half months or nine months. And then when you have the baby, it becomes, oh yeah, so my baby is 23 months and four days. And I'm like, help, (laughs) help me, help me. Okay, okay, fine. We're going off the rails here. So you told me that you grew up in San Francisco and Mm -hmm. you weren't a minority there. So- Coming into the tri space and going after your pro card after you realized that, hey, I want to be in this sport, what made you say, I want to be a pro triathlete? Join No Limit Endurance Coaching for their annual triathlon training camp in iconic Lake Placid, New York on June 9th through 12th. That's right. It's summer camp for triathletes to help you push your limits with workouts geared to all abilities for the 70.3 and 140.6 distances. This camp will help you achieve your big dreams with supported workouts, educational clinics, and small group-based instruction with a cap of 25 athletes. So you're not just a number in a big group. All workouts are coached by USA certified triathlon coaches. We promise an experience as epic as your surroundings. Visit www.nolimitendurance.com backslash Lake Placid. So I feel like this is something a lot of beginner triathletes get totally enamored with is you see the pros, you see them doing amazing. Uh, Back when I started, we didn't have social media. We had old school paper magazines. (laughs) There's still triathlete magazine now, but now there's also Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, etc. But yeah, just going to these races, seeing the pros, like subscribing to triathlete magazine, you like look up to these amazing, super fast athletes and you're like, well, well, why not me? Like, why can't I get that fast? So I feel like it's not 
uncommon for a lot of rookie triathletes to just have that kind of fantasy of becoming a pro triathlete. I mean, how realistic is it is different for all of us. I love it. So now take me back to your first race. Oh, this is a good story. This is a good one. So I was 18. Um, I went to school for any California peeps out there. I went to school in Claremont, California, and there's a raging waters in San Dimas, California, where there it's called Benelli Park. So there was a super sprint triathlon at Benelli Park, but I could bike from my college campus over to Benelli Park. And this super sprint triathlon was like, I think a quarter mile swim. No, not even, it's 250 yards. It was about 250 yard swim, a seven mile bike ride. And then I think like a two mile run. Um, I, I was on the cycling team by then. So I had the biking in the bag. Um, unfortunately, a lot of my cycling teammates didn't give the greatest advice. They were like, if you're gonna go fast, don't even take anything for like a flat tire. It's extra weight. So you can see where this is going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but first I had to get through the swim and swimming. I didn't learn how to swim until I was 18 and I wanted to do a triathlon. So I spent all summer trying to get better at swimming, swimming in the pool. This was going to be my first open water swim. And that water was murky and brown and nasty. So I remember sticking my face into that water and freaking out. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I just doggy paddled the whole damn thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stick my face in it. It was so gross. It was so gross. <laughs> so like, well, I'm doing my first triathlon but I'm not sticking my face in that so I think I was like the second to last person out of the water it took me like over 10 minutes to swim that short distance and I got out on the bike and I was like all right it's fine it's fine like get get on the bike you're really great at biking you've been racing with the cycling team so I get on the bike, it's only seven miles. And of course I get a freaking flat tire <laughs> and I'm sitting on the side of the road and I'm just like, this is how it's gonna end. <laughs> I'm not even gonna get through my first triathlon. This is so stupid. Um, so at the same time the, of the super sprint triathlon, there was a regular sprint distance where I think they went twice as long so I remember there was this older guy who was like, is everything okay? And I was like, I have a flat tire. I have nothing to change it with. So he circled back. He's the nicest guy Threw his flat kit to me with like the tube and the air pump. And he was like, well, I'm not going to win the race today. So here, <laughs> take my stuff. And so I was able to change my tire. And of course, like get on the run. Um, and finished my first triathlon and got to, you know, meet back up with the guy that helped me out. Thank him profusely. It was like not the time I wanted, of course, but I was just happy that I was able to 
finish my first triathlon and call myself a triathlete. And your note to all of the new triathletes, as well as those who've been doing triathlons for a while, don't leave home without your, your bike special kit, a flat repair stuff. Always mm -hmm. have some flat stuff in you and carry extras because, you know, like in this case, the gentleman who helped you out, he probably had another spare tire, just in, you know, spare tube in case he needed it. So always carry extras, extra CO2 cartridges and don't worry about the weight. It may only make you what? Some fractions of a second slower uh, by having, you know, the kit on the back of your bike. But guess what? At least you'll be able to fix your flat in enough time so that you can continue and not be on the side of the road. It's happened to a lot. It's happened to many. Jocelyn is not the first and she's mm -hmm. definitely not going to be the last. So there you got. So make sure you have a bike kit. As a matter of fact, <laughs> speaking of flats, um, I have, we have uh, Sarah who helps us out here at Trial Beginners Luck. She's our social media guru. She did Ironman um, Atlantic City 70.3, the half Ironman Atlantic City. And I think she got over 10 flats. Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. In oh. one day. And so her nickname has become Flats. So you just call her Flats because she had so many flats in one day. And just imagine people were giving her tubes you know, throughout the wow. race course, because wow. you're not going to carry 10 tubes with you, no. but it happened. And I mean, 10 is a lot. And she will tell you it really happened, but you just never know what's going to happen on race day and having to be prepared. And sometimes over-prepared is what helps save your race. Wow. I tell you, that's a good story. So you do your first race and then you decide to go after your first Ironman. What was it like training for an Ironman when you're in your early 20s, still in college? So, you know, I think back now, being a 40-year-old mom with a full-time job, <laughs> like that's the best time to, to train for an Ironman. What else do you got to do? Go to class, do your homework, you know. Um, but I was definitely that weird kid on campus that would go out for these six, seven hour rides. Um, you know, at that age, everyone just wants to go to college parties. And so it was a lot of saying no to going out with my friends. Um, and I really enjoyed it. You know, I joined a local tri club where everyone was way older than me because I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, everyone was at least twice my age, but it was also really, really motivating to, to see all these other people that had done all these races and hear all their stories. But that was, that was what I loved. I, I enjoyed um, getting out there, doing some long rides on my own, but I also, I ended up being president of our college triathlon club and getting some of the other folks that are closer to my age into the sport. Because around that same time, triathlon became an official Olympic sport as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was back in 2000. The Sydney Olympics were the first, the first time the triathlon was in the Olympics. So I do remember as 
my college tri club president, we had a viewing party of that Olympics as one of our club meetings. And so it was, you know, it was, it was such a fun time. And now I'm sure you've heard by now the NCAA just ratified triathlon as an official women's sport because they got the 40 college teams. Yes. So it's really come a long way. It has. And just to think that's what, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. 20 years since you were in college in the Sydney Olympics in 2000, so 22, 22 years. 22 years, yeah. Wow. And think about the growth, like the growth of this sport is really changing. The dynamics is changing. Mm -hmm. The interest is peaking others. I, I, <clears throat> you mentioned something in your first segment about watching the pros. And a couple of months ago, uh, there was Clash Miami. And I promised, I was glued to the TV watching the professionals, well, excuse me, <laughs> glued to Facebook watch and yeah. listening to it as I was driving, hearing the commentation about the athletes in the water, making changes because of the heat. And it was so exciting. Mm -hmm. So think about from 2000 to now, there's races that are starting to just be able to um, uh, provide access so that people can watch just on a regular Friday. It yeah. was the most encouraging day and just watching them and watching how they transitioned. And some of them had 18 second transitions and I'm like, whoa. Yes, whoa. <laughs> it was unbelievable, but it was so good to watch. And I'm sure people who were watching got excited and was like, I can't wait for my race season or I mm -hmm. can't wait to try this. So it does matter. And just being able to see it and be involved in it, whether you're volunteering or um, whether you're volunteering or watching it on TV, it's important to see this sport and how far it's come. And now it can only grow from here. So do you have any involvement in triathlon today? Like what is Jocelyn doing today? So I like to say that, you know, my love affair with triathlon, it comes and goes, you know, I have done for the most part, at least a sprint triathlon every year since I started, you know, there's some years where I only do one sprint triathlon. And then as a pro, there was one year, I think I did eight Ironmans. And then I, I did retire around 2011. Um, they felt like I had to grow up and get a real grown up job. <laughs> and so I, I, I was also a little burnt out, you know, racing eight Ironmans in a year will do that to you. But uh, I always come back because I love it so much. And I, what I have noticed, you know, when I was racing as a pro triathlete, I had always said I wanted to get more Asian Americans into the sport. Um, so I think it was around a few years ago, 2019, I was training locally for some sprint, sprint and uh, maybe an Olympic distance triathlon. Um, I saw a, a younger Asian American girl with her dad training at the reservoir where we do local open water swims. And it, of course I introduced myself and ended up watching them race the following weekend or so, but it made me think, you know, it had been, I think 10 years since I got my pro card 
and I still don't see very much representation as far as diversity in our sport. And that really got me to start thinking, you know, my work here is not done. And now I have a daughter who looks just like me and I want her growing up in a world where there are more athletes and triathletes that look like us. And so I continue to keep showing up because I think it's important to, to be that face of the sport, to welcome others into the sport. And so I'm, I'm involved as well in um, Team Red, White and Blue, which is a veterans organization. And that to help veterans get into triathlon after they come back home from being deployed and that kind of thing. But I think just as someone that's been in the sport for so long that still loves it and enjoys it, it's, I feel like it's duty to help introduce newbies into the sport, welcome them in, because it, it can be an intimidating environment. For sure, it can be. And um, I appreciate that you are actively seeking to increase the representation in this board. We often say that representation matters and it does. You know, seeing someone who looks like you, it gives you that motivation and that courage and that hope. And so I love what you're doing. And there's also currently a professional triathlete out here um, who's working the circuits that you've been working with a lot mm -hmm. or just been in, you know, conversation about a lot. So do you and her name is Clarice Chastain. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you guys ever talk back and forth about some of the um, any areas or barriers that you're still having to overcome in this sport? So it's been really awesome. So Clarice, actually, Clarice and I have struck up a friendship through Instagram because I think around the time Crazy Rich Asians, the movie came out in 2018, there was a lot more talk about Asian representation in film, in life. And, you know, the, the whole topic has just gotten a lot more traction in the last few years. But I remember reading things like saying to diversify your social media feed. And I came to realize the people I was following on social media were a lot of pro runners and pro triathletes, but most of them were white because that's who's like the most popular out there. So I actually made a concerted effort to start following a more diverse spectrum of athletes and celebrities. And I think I, I found Clarice when she was an amateur because she was she had won her age group at something and she was interviewed by this other podcast and I feel like I have a knack of being able to look at some athletes and thinking that person's part Asian <laughs> like even do you know Michael Norman he's like one of the huge track athletes like that was on our Olympic team He's half black and I think half Japanese, but I remember watching the Olympic trials and I think he won the 400. And I was telling my husband, that kid is part Asian. And he's like, how do you know? And sure enough, they, he wins the race. They pan to his parents in the stands 
and he's got a black dad and an Asian mom. And I was like, see, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so I started following like a few athletes that were Asian or I thought could be Asian. At least they, they looked a little bit more like me. And then soon enough, as I was following Clarice, she ended up calling, qualifying for her pro card. And then around the time there were the hate crimes in Atlanta, she actually spoke out about being half Filipina and really taking a stand in being Asian, stopping Asian hate. And I was just extremely impressed and I reached out to her. And so we struck up this friendship where, you know, I was just so, so impressed with her confidence at her age to speak out on these topics, which is something I think in my time I had wanted to do, but it didn't seem like the social climate was ready to hear it. Mm. So since then, we've gone back and forth on a lot of a lot of things. I've recruited her for my JFK 50 miler all Asian American women's team, which I'm really excited about. And yeah, I feel like it's, I love that people are just talking more about all of this. You mentioned something and I think I don't want to skirt past it about today, the social atmosphere is more open to voicing opinions. And Mm -hmm. when you were coming through the ranks, it wasn't. And because I know the time frame and what you're talking about, I completely agree that it's mm-hmm. more of a freedom to be liberated to say the things that you want. So going back to your pro days, what were some of the things that maybe you wanted to voice an opinion about? Because you race pro, you actually reached out did camps with a pro team so that you could become a pro athlete. So what was it like for you back then that you wanted or some of the barriers you had to overcome in say 2009 that you wanted to be more, more voiceful for or about that you can't, you couldn't be at that time. So I remember it was pretty obvious that I was the only active Asian American pro that was competing at all the Ironmans. So it wasn't at the same time back then, a lot of your value to sponsors was how fast you were. Mm. Because now there's more of that social media reach where the kind of the line between being a pro athlete and an influencer is a little more blurred. But back then, I think because I wasn't as fast as some of my other teammates, I didn't feel like I was worth as much Mm. to the sponsor's eyes. But I do remember I would almost have to joke like, hey, I'm the most recognizable pro athlete on the starting line because I was (laughs) like, hey, there's that Asian girl competing with all the white girls. But it was, yeah, it was definitely more challenging. Um, I loved racing in Asia because 
I look like the volunteers and the spectators. And I did have like a lot of support from the local racers. But even when I competed in the US, which I did in 2010, I did almost all the Ironmans that were on US soil. I had a lot of Asian American athletes come up to me that wanted to meet me, take pictures, even get my autograph, which always, always tickled me. But it was, I felt like it just wasn't a time where people were, were receptive to hearing, you know, representation matters. We need to see more athletes like me. Even though um, the team I was on, Team TVB, they were based in Asia. The primary sponsor was a fancy bike shop called the Bike Boutique based in Singapore. And one of the goals for their team had been to bring more Asian athletes into the sport. So that was kind of how I got my foot into the door. But I feel like as time went on, you know, Chrissy Wellington was an unknown then. And then she ended up winning Ironman Hawaii as an unknown. And then everybody wanted to be on the team. And I think over time, the, the original goals of what the team wanted to accomplish kind of changed because of all of this, you know, all of this extra attention and success with developing Chrissy Wellington and some of these really fast athletes. So it, I think it took away a little bit from some of the original visions that the team was put together for. Wow. Um, I love the fact that that still didn't stop you. And the fact that even though others might not have recognized your worth, you recognized your worth. And you was like, look, I'm the most recognized face mm -hmm. out here on these starting lines. And I think sometimes that has to be your driving force when others can't see your greatness and it allows you to keep going and to keep going. And, you know, now it's a little bit different because people can get money for sponsorships, but that's one of the reasons why you had to stop racing because you needed to go get a real job and you mm -hmm. couldn't, you didn't have the sponsorships to help sustain the lifestyle of being a pro triathlete and, you know, a pro triathlete and still trying to, you know, engage in the world and still live. And you had to pick between your two loves. Yes, it was, you know, it was a hard decision. I had also gotten injured. I was actually hit by a car during Ironman Korea. And that was a pretty devastating injury to deal with as, as a pro triathlete. You know, you're already struggling to make all this money. I had student loans from grad school that I was able to get, I think, a three-year economic forbearance on because I made no money as a pro triathlete. So you could actually defer your student loans based on economic hardship. But yeah, I was hardly making any money. I think I got $600 a month of a stipend from our professional team. The first year I raced, I got $5,000 in prize money, which I thought was a lot. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my God, like no wonder, no wonder so many pro triathletes have to take other jobs. But the environment I was in, the team I was on, they were all about going all in, not necessarily working a part-time job or anything while you were also trying to pursue greatness in the sport, which is why a lot of people that came through that team did so well is because we went 100% all in and then some, but 
you know, triathlon as a pro does not make very much money. And then of course the recession happened, prize money kind of went away, sponsorships dried up. So it's a lot of the same stuff that, that keeps happening in our sport. I feel like it's only a handful of the very top athletes that can make a living without having to take other jobs. But at the same time, the, the advent of Instagram and social media has really brought another level of monetizing being a pro athlete. So, so the people that do it well can actually have a good income stream from being almost like an influencer. I'm trying to think, you, you made a comment about having to stop. And I wanted to see if you would ever think about coming back as a pro <laughs> triathlete. And I say that because <laughs> there is, and I'm, I'm trying to think of her name. And if you know her name, please let me know. But she is in her fifties and she's still racing as a professional triathlete and maybe bad, bad. No, it's, it's Didi Greisbauer. Yeah, yes. Didi. Didi. That's, and it was a, it's pretty amazing. And she's That's, like fast. So would you think you would ever come back? Like, would that be something that you desire to do? You know, I've been asked this question, I think on a different interview before. And I think that might've been before I had my child. <laughs> <laughs> but my answer is still the same, which is... Well, what I do now for my career is extremely rewarding and it also pays the bills without as much stress as, you know, trying to make it as, as a triathlete. Um, I don't think I have the desire in my heart to, to put myself out there because I know, and I think part of it is because I know what it takes to be that level for me. And I had to dedicate my whole life, like my whole day, just to be as good as I was, which was still not quite the top of the top. And so I think now it's been, it's been over 10 years and the, the competition and the younger women that are coming out are only getting faster and faster. So with having a daughter now, I feel like I am hoping I can do a half Ironman by the end of the year. But even just to be able to train for that distance with being a mom, having a job, it's too much. It's too <laughs> much. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't, you know, back in, so I'm 40 now, but I remember I, I retired before my 30th birthday because at the time I was like, oh my God, I'm turning 30. What am I doing with my life? I better like figure it out and like stop doing this triathlon thing. But, you know, I feel like between 30 and 35, I had this great window where I, I probably could have kept going. And of course, you know, we all have some regrets. I'm happy with where I'm at now, but I feel like if I had wanted to get back into it, that would have been the time to do it. Mm, interesting. And you just didn't do you, your specialty was loan course. Yes. Yes. I so, didn't have the speed or like the swimming prowess to be awesome at the Olympic distance. 
And with my my former coach, who's Brett Sutton, he's the one that coaches Daniela Reef and like coach Chrissy Wellington and all these big names. But he was always saying I was like too slow to even like be good at the half Ironman distance. <laughs> so that's why I did the Ironman because I could grind it out. And it's all about Ironman is all about who slows down the least. Mm. So I think my speed at like the half and the full Ironman distance was about the same, but because Ironman, and I did some of the more challenging, like epic races in conditions like Malaysia, Ironman China was all like in tropical weather, the inaugural Ironman St. George. So I found that I actually did better, the more challenging the course and the conditions were because it's all about who slows down the least. And so not being one of the speediest, if you just keep going, you know, everyone else starts to implode around you. And then you end up passing people who on paper, on paper, they're way more talented and faster than you. But if you make the conditions hard enough, then those people will crack when you don't. I love that analogy about they will implode around you and you mm -hmm. just keep going. Well, look, Jocelyn, you are amazing. I can talk to you all day long. You are hilarious. And I appreciate your journey. I appreciate uh, your team that you're building for JFK 50 Miler. Like, I think I want to hear a little bit more about that because that's coming up towards the end of the year, but you're doing so much and you're doing it in a way for you that's sustainable and that's creating change. And whether it's change immediately or change further down the line, you're still here to create that change. And I'm so super excited for all the things that you have going on. So tell me about this team for JFK 50 Miler and Will you guys all do the 50 miles and it's a combination of the points and when you guys come in and if you're the best overall team or will you guys take different parts of the route? So JFK 50 miler is, I think it's, it might be the oldest ultra marathon in the US. It's 50 miles, it's about an hour north of DC in Western Maryland. So it's a point to point race and then it, it starts on the Appalachian Trail, and then there's a part that goes on the, I think the CNO Canal towpath and goes through Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. So it dips into West Virginia and then it gets back into Maryland. I've done the race two times before. So the way the team competition works is everyone does the entire 50 miles on their own. And then it's like cross country running style where I don't think they do it by points. They add the top three finishing times for your three fastest teammates. You can have up to five on a team. And there is, there's a team competition for like all males, all females, and I think military. Um, but I have done that race two times and it was a, something I got into after I retired from being a pro Ironman triathlete is that I still had that desire to stoke those competitive fires, but I 
was kind of put off like, you know, Ironman training, you've done Ironman, you know how much training that takes. But this was, gave me that same kind of, this sounds crazy. Could I do it? And could I be competitive at it? So I've done it a couple times in 2016 and 2018. Um, I used to live in DC and my friend Joanna Graham, who is Korean American, she had done it three times before I had ever done JFK. So I remember her and our friend Rupa, who is South Asian, they had been doing all these crazy ultra marathons and I was like a retired Ironman person, but I remember hearing their stories. I remember uh, spectating one of Rupa's races. So this wasn't, it wasn't unusual that I knew other Asian women doing ultra marathons. So uh, Joanna and I have since both have had, had kids. So we're now in our early forties. We each have one kid. Um, last November, it's always the Saturday before Thanksgiving. The first year I did it. So here is uh, another thing to bring back Asian representation. The first year I did it, I was trying to go for a top 10 finish and I imploded around mile 30 because that's as long as my longest training run was. And once my body hit mile 30, it was like, what are we doing? And my knees locked up, like I had to walk and I think I was in the top 10 and then I ended up uh, going down to 18th place. But I remember going to the award ceremony and seeing an Asian girl get top five. And her name is Caitlin Teiteshi. She's Japanese American. We ended up becoming friends on Instagram. So this is also part of my story in how through Instagram, I've really connected with other amazing Asian American female athletes. So Caitlin got top five. We ended up striking a friendship through Instagram. She just had her first baby two months after I had mine. So mine's 15 months now. Hers, her daughter is 13 months. She actually went back and did JFK last year and pumped. She pumped during the race. And wow. my mind was blown. Like I was so inspired by her. Like I have learned not to fall into the comparison trap. So in no way was I wishing that I was out there, there racing last November because I think I could, I took my time coming back postpartum. So I think my longest run might've been six miles and I was struggling to do the six miles because my body was still healing up from my cesarean. So I was not in a rush to get back into like long distances, but just watching her do the race after having her baby pumping during the race. It was so epic. And it made me start to think maybe next November, I'll want to do it again, because it's one of those races where I felt like I haven't had the race I wanted, but I felt like this is something that's manageable for my, my life, as far as how much training I need to do to be somewhat competitive. And I, I think I reached out to Joanna, like, hey, it's going to be the 60th edition of JFK 50. What do you think about going back? 
what if we put together an all Asian American women's team to go for the women's team competition? And she was like, hmm, tell me more. And I was like, we could get pandas on our running jerseys. <laughs> and we'll have yellow running jerseys. <laughs> and she was like, anything but yellow. I don't look good in yellow. And I'm like, Joanna, that's the whole point. We're yellow. We got to do it. <laughs> and so I she, love it. <laughs> she was like, I love everything about this. And then I reached out to Clarice and Clarice has not ever done an ultra marathon, but I was like, Clarice, I have this idea for our team and we'll call it Crazy Fit Asians, which of course is a spin on the movie Crazy, Crazy Rich, Rich Asians. Asians. <laughs> so I talked Clarice into it, Joanna was on board, and then I convinced my friend Rose who I had just gotten, she just did her first triathlon last summer after reaching out to me. And she's Korean American, I'm Chinese American. Uh, Joanna's Korean American and Clarice is Filipina. So I convinced Rose, uh, she was really kind of like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, we're gonna put pandas on our jerseys. <laughs> It'll be amazing. So, so we have four. I'm still trying to convince Caitlin, who was like my original JFK inspiration to get on our team. So we'll see if we can get her onto the team as well. But yeah, we, we got the team all together. We're all registered. I made a big announcement on social media and we had like really positive, amazing reactions to to that post and yeah we're getting people excited well congratulations and we'll be looking out for the crazy fit asian squad to represent and track them for the jfk 60th uh anniversary for their 50 miler mm -hmm. i think that's incredible and ladies and gentlemen you know i have to brag on my friend jocelyn um she is a published author uh, with some of her medical documents. Yes, she's smart and she's a pro triathlete. Yes. And um, she's a mom. And most importantly, she's an agent for change. Jocelyn, thank you so much. Now we have some quick rapid fire questions. Don't think too much about it, but just go okay. straight in. Whatever you think about is the answer that comes out. What is your favorite leg of the sport? Running, definitely okay. running. Okay. At the end of a race, is it beer, wine, water, or soda? Beer. And what kind of beer? <laughs> it's usually whatever is offered at the finish line, but there's something about a post-race beer that is just crisp, and tasty because it's usually hot when you're racing. So sure. definitely. Are you a transition minimalist? Goldilocks or everything has to be just right or a kitchen sink hoarder, you bring everything with you? I become more of a minimalist and I feel like I still have pretty quick transitions now that I'm back to racing as an amateur. Okay. Who or what inspires you? So 
right now it's other amazing Asian American females that are in triathlon and running. You know, I already mentioned both Clarice and then my ultra running mama friend, Caitlin, who also, she also raced the Olympic marathon trials. Oh, wow. But yeah, following these, these fast women that are just killing it out there. They inspire me. Other moms that race inspire me. Where is your favorite place to run these days? So I live in Delaware now. So these days, I would say when I'm out trail running, and I'll probably run after we do this interview, is uh, White Clay Creek is a system of trails that just a few miles from my front door. So I love that I can just lace up and get out the front door. Um, I have learned that it's better to start and end at the front door because if you drive somewhere and you run really long, you got to get back in the car and drive home. <laughs> all facts, all facts, all facts. Yes. Well, pee on the bike or get off and take a proper pee break. Oh my gosh. I love this question. <laughs> Why do you love this question? <laughs> I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but I remember as when I was an 18 year old triathlete, I did one of my first training camps. And of course I was like really enamored with like, we had some of the, a few coaches that were pro triathletes. And I remember asking that question, is it true that pros is it true that pros pee on their bike? And the pro, her name is Michelle Deasy. She, she was like, you know, there's plenty of porta potties on the course. And I was like, no, my question is like, do you pee on the bike? <laughs> and then when I raised pro, I have so much trouble peeing when there's people around me. I get stage fright. It's really hard. It's really hard to pee on your bike. Because, well, there's like people around you and you don't even like want to get pee on your bike because it's a really nice bike. So it's a complicated answer. Like I, I feel like if I was super fast and time mattered and I really had to go, I don't know that peeing on the bike is any faster because I remember I was able to do it like one time at Ironman Coeur d'Alene and I was so proud of myself, but I really had to <laughs> slow down and think about it. Cause you have to like, you know, you have to be in the mindset. Okay, like relax, relax. Nobody's watching you. Nobody's around you. <laughs> this is really hard. Like I think even peeing in your wetsuit when there's people around you, like I have trouble doing that too. <laughs> Maybe I was just potty trained too well. <laughs> okay i think everyone knows that this is it thank you so much for everything that story was was so worth it so thank you for it not being rapid and thank you for sharing that with us listen you guys whenever you try beginners like you always win continue to listen. Hey, you've been listening now for a while. Leave us a review, rate us and share if you want to hear more content. And also if you want to hear some topics or you want us to interview some people, send us 
that information in. The info will be in the links or in the bio. So just reach out to us so that we can have your information and get people in here that you want to hear from. Thank you again. And I'm Ashonda and I'm out. Peace. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.